Hello and welcome to Shoot the Breeze, where we take a nostalgic look at a random football magazine from the past. I'm Andy Smith, aka Scott's Footy Cards on Twitter, and with me is Tom Brogan. Hello! In each episode we'll invite a special guest to join us in trawling through the magazine and discuss anything contained within it. This could be anything from an article, to a photograph, to a competition, to an advert. Basically, if it's in it, we'll talk about it. So sit back and let's shoot the breeze. Wriggles clear, might just get the chip and he does, he's scored! Oh, oh what a great goal! He's done it! Oh, brilliant goal! Wiggling his way, that's an excellent one, and he needs! It's a goal! Four for Clydeback, excellent play by Hughes, I think the square of the match, and sweetly finished by Welcome to the second part of our Shoot the Breeze podcast with Stephen McGarry. In this show, we look at various works of Steve's within Match and Shoot magazines. We're going to look through some of your some of your other work throughout the magazines, the different magazines. So, the first the first one I've got here is from the tenth of September, nineteen eighty three, and it's Canon. Uh, yeah, created this, wrote it, drew it. Um, it was, I mean, it. You know, I look at it now and it's quite rudimentary, uh, but I mean, hugely ambitious. <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'll just do three of these a week. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I did this for a while with them. I, like I say, we kind of talked about it, you know, because I've been working with the mag for a year or two and, and I wanted to do something different. You know, they were talking about doing a strip and I said, well, I, I want to do something that's like realistic, you know, or, or that isn't just sort of Roy of the Rovers, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, this was my attempt at that. And I, I did it for, I don't know, a few months. Um, and originally what we'd said was that they'd be a, the magazine would be a bit more helpful, you know, in terms of helping with reference and, uh, you know, maybe we could sort of flesh out storylines together. And they kind of left me to my own devices. Um, and at this point, you know, sort of late 83 into 84, uh, you know, I really was the bee's knees. I, I was getting offers in from all sorts of people. And so... Um, I, I kind of, what I said to them was, well, look, get another artist and a writer in. Um, I'll keep the rights to this, but you can do what you want with it. So, I, like I said, I created it, did it for a, a, a few months, and then I moved on to things like looking. I was doing more and more work with the newspapers, uh, and I kind of left them to their own devices. But, I mean, I'm still quite, I'm still quite proud of it, actually. No, I mean, it, it holds up. Um, as I say, the artwork's a bit rudimentary by my standards, but um, yeah, it's all right. Did you have any any basis for the characters? I mean, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, well, Magnum was quite big at the time on TV, <laughs> so uh, basically, I uh, if you look, um, I based Magnum on what would Clint Eastwood look like if he had um, a Magnum moustache, <laughs> and that was um, that was Harry Cannon. Yeah. Which is, is is very noticeable in, in the middle page one, the, the very first one. Which I think you've you've done the stipple effect on that face there, and I, I think that was the only one out of everything. Firstly, that this must be close to the beginning of it. It's episode three. It says the the, the person underneath looks a bit Nigel Farage as well. Um, as I'm looking at it now, a couple of things are coming back. The uh, on that first page there, the coach in the red tracksuit top is actually the art director of the daily star it's a guy called mike burnham and i put him in you know just for the hell of it and then i think this somewhere in here is a bloke called adge 
um, that's ringing a bell. Uh, and actually, it's my brother. So I, I just, with, with all my comic strips, I, I actually did a blog post a while ago about, um, I was illustrating for, I can't think what the annual was, uh, Kids from Fame annual. And if you look at all of these, you know, if there's a van going past, it's called McGarry's, or I've drawn my brother in. <laughs> or there's a great scene where um, Terry and Arthur are in, uh, what was that drinking club? The Winchester. Yeah, in the Winchester, and I'm at the bar with them. So I just drew me <laughs> in between Terry and Alpha. So I'd kind of just amuse myself by putting this stuff in. But if you, if you look over the pages of Canon, there's um, uh, yeah, half of Manchester's in there somewhere, hidden in there somewhere. <laughs> well, one thing I was going to ask about Canon, and it was something that we brought up recently when we looked at one, it wasn't the intention to actually bring something out and an understanding of football, because I think this one was about how certain Everton players, they actually played. What was the intention to also educate about formations or the way players played? Not so much to make it, um, not so much to educate, it's just to make it real, mm -hmm. you know. I mean, I just felt that, um, you know, the the, the, the storylines that you would see in soccer, if, I, I'll tell you a story now, which may get me into trouble, but I hope it doesn't, was... Um, in one of the magazines, uh, or one of the bits you showed me, um, it's um, a, a bit where I'm going on the telly to award, uh, I'm going on some Saturday morning kids programme. And I remember talking to the producer of that show just before this came out. Uh, and I was saying, yeah, I'm launching this soccer strip and I'm going to make it as real as possible so that, you know, the manager's actually having it off with the physio's wife. <laughs> and if you remember, that was Tommy Doherty at the time. And we're in the pub as we're discussing this, and the producer was going, no, like that, because uh, I, can't, I think it might have been Tommy Doherty's son was sat sort of at a table away from us. <laughs> oh, dear. So he's kind of like marking my car, don't say anything, don't say anything. Yeah. But that was the idea that was, it was, you know, let's make this real. Mm -hmm. You know, what would happen? And it was kind of, the genesis of it was the um, that Peter Swan, Bronco Lane football scandal. You know, and then, you know, you've got the Grobbler thing where they're accused of taking bribes. And, you know, I think in canon, um, he'd been wrongfully convicted and they go to Australia. You know, he, he moves to Australia to get away from it. And the plane, England, they're on a tour. Uh, England, they're on a tour of Australia. The plane has trouble and it has to land in the outback uh, at this makeshift landing strip. And that's where the Cannon family are. You know, and, and one of the journalists discovers Harry and brings him back. And so the idea that Harry was coming back to, you know, because his boys, obviously, you know, he's got these two fabulous footballing sons, um, but he was coming back to clear his name. So it was, you know, the idea was to do something that felt as though it was sort of based in reality. And that was partly a few years later then, uh, I teamed up with Tony Husband and we did Ray of the Rangers, mm. which was a sort of a... a same idea, same sort of approach to, well, let's just laugh, you know, let's just tease Roy of the Rovers and, you know, take it to its ludicrous extreme. <laughs> but the same thing, it was kind of, all these stories were the same. And I did um, I did an exhibition a couple of years ago where I traced the history of um, uh, soccer comics and yeah. soccer art uh, throughout history and throughout the world. And every uh, country has a Roy of the Rovers, yeah. you know, uh, 
in the Netherlands, he's called, I can't remember what they are, Raul Dijkstra or something, you know, they, 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 and then there's one that plays for Barcelona and he's, you know, that's a French comic or a Spanish comic that's big somewhere. So they're always the same guys, this sort of blonde hero who saves the day kind of thing. And I just wanted to, I just wanted to kind of subvert that somehow, you know, <laughs> just have fun with it, just yeah. make it a bit more real. Yeah, but when you're talking about making this real, I was just thinking that that's the complete opposite to Roy the Rovers when they brought in like the Kemp twin yeah. brothers and yeah, Bob Wilson exactly. and Jeffrey Boycott. You know, just let's have some realism. Let's just see, you know, what you can do with this if you if you don't approach it as sort of um, you know man in a cape. I re- I, re- I remember um, in part of that exhibition, I showed the the gen- the history of uh, Roy the Rovers as part of the exhibition, and there's a bit in there because I, I did. Um, I did a presentation to go with it. And there's a bit in there where I show him and he looks exactly like He-Man. He's got this yeah. sort of blonde... Do <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just this, well, I don't remember any footballers looking like <laughs> He-Man. <laughs> so, I don't know. I don't know if it works or not. As I said, I did it for a couple of months and then let them run with it. Mm. I, and I actually thought about bringing this back because I've still got all the... I still own all the rights to this. And I actually thought, I wonder if this would be worth updating and, you know, doing it knowing what I know now. And uh, yeah, you know, it's just finding the time to do these things. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, we'll look through a few other things. So the next one up here is the My Favourite Goal, and this is by match reader Steve Nichols. So this one is from the 10th, in fact, this is from the same magazine as the Canon one. So what's unusual here, I suppose, is the fact that you've drawn the, the match winner as well, as in the, the person who's sent in. The, the reader, so you've, you've drawn him as well. I'm guessing then they sent a photograph with it. Yeah, that, what, what, this is it. Well, it's funny. This is exactly what I was talking about. If you see, there's a picture down there of uh, me with the editor of Match and uh, Steve Koppel judging the winner. And that that's that's the TV show that I was talking about. I did two appearances um, in Get Set Picture Show that summer, which was kind of like, I think it was Swap Shop in the winter and then Get Set in the summer. Um, so I did, uh, and it was uh, again. This was. Um, this is, I, I, I'm always a, um, a great advocate for being proactive. Uh, if you're in the arts, if you're an actor, a musician, a dancer, an artist, um, uh, whatever it is, you know, a lot of kids have a lot of talent, and but they they think they're just going to sit there and somebody's going to discover them. And it doesn't happen that way. You've got to be proactive. You've got to knock on doors. You've got to let people know you're around. And so I just fancied going on the telly. <laughs> That's the honest truth of this. So uh, I told um, I told Match that I've got an idea for a, a, a competition. I'll tell you if it works out. And they went, sure, let, me, let, let us know what happens. So I just approached the BBC and said, hey, what if we did this competition and the winner gets to go on? And they went, yeah, yeah, we'd love to. And so that's what that was. That was just me fancying going on the TV. So I created a competition. And um, the idea was you had to describe your favourite goal, send in a picture if we chose yours. Um, if me, Mel and Steve Koppel chose yours, then I'd draw you in the artwork and we would present the original to you on the TV show. So I went on the TV, we set the competition. So all these kids saw the competition and wrote into the magazine. So from the magazine's point of view, this is great. You know, it's free publicity. Uh, for the TV show, it's great because they've got a competition that's, you know, reader participation. And for me, it's great because I get to go on the telly <laughs> <laughs> so, and show off. 
Um, but I, I've got to tell you this story. I know I waffle on a bit, but I've got to tell you this story. So when we came to present it, um, uh, so we picked the winner. Uh, Steve Koppel helps us pick the winner. We picked this Ray Wilkins goal. And uh, the kid was from, I want to say he was from the Wirral or... It, it, Oh, from Chester. I'm just looking at it now. The kid was from Chester, but he was a Liverpool supporter. So, as you can tell by this podcast, I never prepare for any of this. I just <laughs> waffle off the top of my head. <laughs> and um, I'm in the green room with Arthur Alberston, who was this match had, had got Arthur Alberston, you know, the United and Scottish International. Yeah. They'd got him to present the actual artwork. And so we're chatting beforehand, and he said to me, um, he said, oh, yeah, he said, I know exactly what I'm going to say. I'm going to say that the kid's a Liverpool fan and uh, he's picked a United goal, you know, and it just shows you what a great goal it must have been. And I went, oh, that's a great idea. Well, I get out in front of the camera and I go on before Arthur. And, you know, you just sort of um, stream of consciousness, you know, you just, you know, go on to automatic pilot. And uh, so they said, well, what made you pick this? And I just said, oh, well, you know, the kid described it really well. And it was such a great goal. And without thinking, I just said, and, you know, and as you know, he's a Liverpool supporter. So for him to choose Alfred, <laughs> for him to choose the Ray Wilkins goal shows that um, it must have been a fabulous goal. And as I'm saying it, I realised I've just stitched Arthur Alfred. <laughs> yeah, and so, like, he has to come out then and, you know, Completely wing it because I've just stolen his. Um, his I'm so embarrassed. But, you know, what you're going to do it. I just, I didn't think. But there you go. So if Arthur Alberston's listening, he probably wants to punch my leg. So. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure he's calmed down by now. <laughs> it yeah. was the get set picture. Show. <laughs> yeah, we'll need to try and look out a, a, a video of that. That would certainly be one to get. Yeah, I've actually got them. They're, they're British videos. And I'm in the States and I can't play them on anything. I've actually yeah. got a, 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 an old videotape with that on. All right. We'll, we'll, need to, we'll need to sort something out with that then. Yeah. Um, so on, on the other page is King John. So this is the John Chidozzi and he's a matchman of the month. So I'm getting this was a, a regular feature as well. And again, yeah. drawn by your good self. And just the, attention, the detail there is absolutely incredible. Oh, oh thank you. Well, I, I was doing um, this... Uh, and at the same time, I used to do um, one in the Daily Star every Friday as well. Um, and so these were my sort of, you know, I'd, I'd have a few days to do these. Um, and, you know, and so I'd, I'd be able to sort of, I had the luxury of spending a bit of time and getting it exactly how I wanted. Um, so that's that, you, I mean, you can see the stipple style there in, yeah. um, in all its execution. Were, were there any particular players of that era that you enjoyed drawing? Um, I don't like drawing blonde players <laughs> <laughs> because it's harder to draw blonde hair. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like, you know, um, don't ask me to draw a bicycle. Please, please, please don't ask me. To, oh, God, he's asked me to draw a bicycle you know, because it's, they're just harder to draw. Yeah. So blonde people, it's kind of um, uh, with, with blonde hair, it's, um, it's more what you don't draw than what you do. You yeah. know, you, you have to sort of suggest blonde hair because you, I mean, you can see with um, with John's hair here, uh, you, you know, it, 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 I mean, that just lends itself beautifully to pen and ink. Yeah. yeah. I'm guessing it's different if it's a colour one, doing blonde is a bit different then, a bit easier. Yeah. Well, um, kind of. Um, at the time, again, this is pre digital. So all this stuff was hand drawn. 
now I use um, I use a big desktop um, monitor called a Cintiq, and I draw straight on the screen. And so, uh, the slightest error, I just uh, on a keyboard, it's Command Z, and it just undoes it. So I'm drawing with my right hand, and with my left hand uh, and th finger and thumb, I'm holding, you know, Control. Uh, oh, sorry, Command Z. And so I'm drawing and undoing as I go along, you know, it's so it's kind of was, was it natural adapting to that digital style when you first started doing it? Was it instinctive? I could honest to God, Tom, I couldn't wait. It was um uh, you know, because I just knew it had saved me so much time and it was cleaner and and so as soon as I got my hands on one. And it's the same with computers. I mean, right at the very start, I um I was lucky because I was working for the Daily Star and they were bought out by a pawn baron. This would be like 80, 88, maybe, 87, 88. I want to say 87. And so uh, a lot of the people from the Daily Star took redundancy and launched a new paper with a guy called Eddie Shaw in Warrington called The Post. And The Post was the first uh, newspaper created entirely on computers in the UK. And so they asked me, uh, you know, did I want to be a part of it? Uh, and they actually paid me really, really well. But they actually sent me on courses then to learn how to use a Mac. This is like in 1988. Right. And so I was writing at day one because that allowed me to do my own typesetting. Uh, it allowed me to, you know, when the, the drawing programs came out, I was already a Mac expert. So I did, a, uh, I think the first series I did of my own volition was a big preview on the 1990 World Cup. And I did it. Uh, at that time, I was scanning the art in still, but it meant I could assemble the, the art on screen, add my own type. Because before that, I'd have to say, if I was putting type in, I had to send it out to a typesetter. And then, wait, you know, the following day, I'd get a galley proof. Then I'd have to cut the galley proof out and paste it down on the artwork. Whereas, you know, now suddenly I was able to just do this in, 20 minutes, whereas before it was taking me two days. So with any of that, I've always tried throughout my career to, as soon as there's an innovation, as soon as there's a new tool that makes it quicker and more efficient and easier, I've jumped on it, you know, even if it cost me, you know, I mean, scanners when you were buying them were about $1,000 a pop when you were first buying a scanner. You know, printer was a, like a grand, a grand and a half for a laser printer. Um, but it, to me, it was just, no, you know, this, this is gonna, you're gonna make more money spend money to make money yeah let's look through a few of the other so some of the other ones we've got here is uh this is from the a to z of the european championships and it was from 21st of april 1984 and i have seen this is lots of the teams from the european championships and again it's your, your artwork that's going on here we have the olympics from mexico 1968 bob beeman as well and i think that one's from 1984 uh, 21st of july so yeah both from 84 yeah. in fact I'd, I'd completely forgotten doing both of these until until i saw this uh, again I'd, I'd forgotten that i did um, a series on the euros and the olympics was um i don't know why it match decided that they wanted to cover the olympics that year but that's basically it was like great olympic moments that series i don't know how many i probably only did about six something like that for the series Okay, moving on. So we've got Action Replay, which is obviously features John Barnes and his famous goal against Brazil in the Maracanã. And that yeah. one was from 1st of September 84. So quite a lot of these are from that period. Yeah, and, and again, as I said before, 
we just changed the name every season. Yeah. You know, so <laughs> Golden Gold became, yeah. you know, Gold of My Life became, hey, look, I've got some new letter sets, so it's now called Action Replay. Yeah. <laughs> and on on the the next one, so that this was this is quite um, timely. So this beautiful Brian. So you've done a, an illustration for this, the spotlight on your dishiest players. Because the one one of the the podcasts that we've done recently was actually the original part of the dishiest player, so it was the sort of competition saying who's the dishiest player. So it's good that we actually find out from this who the dishiest players were. So I think we we can have a look at the top dishiest players. Brian Robson won it, and we've got a a, a drawing of a love love sick. Teenager, I guess, girl on on her bed looking at a big photo, big photograph, a big picture of Brian Robson. I mean, th- th- I guess doing things like that must have been really fun. Yeah, you know, it's. Uh, I mean, I've always been fairly prolific, uh, you know, but it, it, sometimes it, it it staggers me as to how much work I was getting through, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> don't forget, I was also in the newspapers yeah. every week. And I was probably in a couple of different other magazines. You know, like I say, I was doing stuff for looking. So, I, you know, I, I don't know. The, the, I don't know. The power of youth, I suppose. Um, yeah, I was just burning through this stuff. Uh, and they were fun to do. And at this stage, I wasn't really, I didn't really see myself. I saw myself as an illustrator, not a cartoonist. But I was just sort of forced to do cartoons because it was, oh, well, you know, we need something lighthearted. Can you do this? Uh, yeah okay <laughs> so so now suddenly I'm doing caricatures as opposed to illustrations did you ever say no that you, you couldn't do something or did you just go with anything that was thrown at you it's kind of the freelancer's code it's yeah. kind of um, oh yeah 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 I can do that in fact when yeah. I um, I mentioned working for the post and I was doing sort of um, I was doing illustrations for them I was doing editorial illustrations for them as we were getting ready to launch the magazine and um, then they'd have me designing sort of like the weather page and designing the headers. And, you know, so uh, I was doing all this stuff. And then about two weeks before launch, they went, hey, comic strips, we, we need some comic strips. Um, Steve, do you want to be the cartoon editor? And I went, yeah, okay. <laughs> and then they said, well, have you got any comic strips? And I went, yeah, funnily enough, I've got one. Yeah, I'll, um, and this was on the Friday. I went, I'll bring it in Monday. I'll bring some samples in on Monday. Well, of course I had nothing. But I just knew that I could, oh, well, I'm going to get a few hundred quid for doing a comic strip. So I went back and invented Badlands that, that weekend. You know, I got 13 years out of Badlands, <laughs> sold it to the sun when the, um, when the post went. But, yeah, that's the freelancer's code. It's kind of, oh, yeah, 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 I can do that. You know, and then as soon as you put the phone down, you go, uh-oh, <laughs> I don't know how to do that. So, so the, these next two, the first one is the Ray of the Rangers, which we've already touched on here. So we have... Yeah, it's, it's a bit of a departure from the... Yeah, I, I mean, you can see, I, I mean, I, I, you know, um, to me, that's terrible artwork. You know, it, <laughs> it's me as a fledgling cartoonist. Yeah. Um, you know, if you look at that and then look at, say, the stuff I did with Premier League High, the shoot, however many years later, 15, 20 years later, whatever it is, that's me learning to be a cartoonist. I mean, it, it's fine, but, it, you know, it's not good enough for me. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't put this in, in my stuff. But it was um, my pal Tony Husband. Uh, he's a cartoonist. He just, I'd done some stuff for Oink, which was his magazine. Uh, and he just said, oh, do you, do you know, shoot are interested in doing a, a, a comic. Do you want to do something? And I went, sure. And I, I, years later, he told me that when, <laughs> that when he envisaged it, he thought that I was going to do it in a sort of a cod um, Roy of the Rovers style. 
And to me, well, that, you know, that, that was too near, the, too near the original. So I just went in a different direction. I thought, right, I'll do it. It's a cartoon, you know. Uh, and he saw it and he just went, yeah, sure, okay. Uh, and they bought it and then that was it. You know, we were off to the races. But no, it's, um, to me, it's quite cringeworthy that, to see that. Okay, we'll, we'll move on quickly from that then. <laughs> <laughs> so the next yeah. one is uh, Trev- Trevor Stephen. Just a, it's a little special move that they do. Uh, actually done for the FA. Because uh, I can remember they used to, because um, I was married and living, we just got married and we were living in a place called Cheadle Hume, which is a couple of miles away from where I'd, I'd, I'd grown up in Withenshaw. And um, the coach, one of the coaches, one of the FA coaches would come uh, to the house. We'd discuss what movie he wanted to do and, you know, they'd give me a bit of a script and then he'd come back a week later. And I think they were going, I, I vaguely remember that sort of the coach would be going to Liverpool to do some you know, to do some training session with some college or school or something. And they would just kind of come in and pick these up on the way. Um, so I did quite a few of those, I think, yeah. for the FA. Okay. So the, this this next set, I absolutely love these. This is the, the World Cup, uh, the history of the World Cup. And they featured in Shoot Magazine between April 94 yeah. and July 94. And they're just absolutely immense. Yeah. Uh, but these are still hand drawn and hand coloured at this time, um, uh, just because the, the drawing programs weren't ready and you couldn't really do too much colouring. But um, I think they stand up, don't they? Mm-hmm. I mean, this is, you know, this is me getting to the top of my game. I think. Yeah, I mean, there's um, bl- blonde hair there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you can see, can't you? I mean, it's like. You draw Jeff Hurst or Eusebio, you can put a lot of black in there. Yeah. You know, you draw Bobby Moore and it's like, oh, right, okay. <laughs> Kinesia, again, you can see on Kinesia, on the other one there, on the 1991. Hmm. Kinesia, I've put a lot of black in there just to, um, uh, you know, kind of weight it down, if you like. I mean, what what I love about the this collection, this feature, um, is that it is the sort of thing that people would they would collect them all and probably put them up in their walls or put them together in a in a booklet or something like that. You know, they are, they, they do look like collectibles. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I was really pleased with, with the way this one worked out. And then um, for the, the 1998 World Cup, because I was doing, every two years, I would do a series that we would sell in syndication. And so we would sell it to newspapers and I'd use it like a network of agents around the world that would sell it into different territories. So I had an agent that would sell into Benelux. So Belgium, the Netherlands, Luxembourg, um, they would do the translation and sell it that way. So I've been every major tournament, particularly the World Cups, but I'd do the Euros. And then two years later, I'd do the World Cups. I'd be in hundreds of newspapers around the world with this, this syndicated material. And the biggest one was 98 because... Budweiser gave the Sun a million pounds to sponsor the Sun's coverage of the 1998 World Cup. And so the Sun just came to me and said, well, what do you want to do? And we ended up doing this huge um, gatefold poster. uh, And I think they gave away four million of them. And um, so we'd come over from the States uh, I used to come over for the World Cup and we'd stake my mother-in-law's and I'd be in the pub for the entire World Cup with my mates. <laughs> and um, every pub, every cake shop, it was there in, in the window. You know, everybody had that sun giant wall chart poster. 
and I did um, I did a, an English version for the English Sun and a Scottish version uh, for the Scottish edition. Yeah. Um, and so it was just everywhere. It was just completely ubiquitous. Mm. I have I did have a a quick look to see if I could get a copy online, but there wasn't anything at the time. But I'll be keeping. Keep them alive. I'll, I'll, I'll send you a copy so, oh. so you can see what it looks like. Right. I should probably put a care package together. I'll send you some original stuff as well. Excellent, excellent. I was going to ask if I can just uh, jump in here for a second, uh, Stephen, just take you away from football uh, for a moment. I know you're at, you were at school with Rob Gretton. Yeah. I just w- wondered if you could tell us a wee bit. I, I guess I will maybe know about the legend of Rob Gretton and through the, the film, 24 Hour Party People. I just wondered if you could just tell us a wee bit about what Rob was, what he was like. Uh, well, Rob and I, um, we were both sort of smart kids who passed the 11 plus. We were both from Widdenshaw, but we went to different schools. And we passed the 11 plus and went to St. Bede's, which is still is the premier um, Catholic um, school in Manchester. All the city players go there now. It's, it's, it's like a private academy now. But all the city, like Phil Foden and all the rest of them are all educated at Beads. And so we passed our 11 pluses, went there and became friends because we were city fans and we were music fans and we lived near each other. And so Rob and I, uh, we used to, we, we were hooligans on the Kip Acts, you know, 14, 15. We would go to youth clubs. Uh, we'd sneak into the pub together. Those were, you know, our little gang of mobs. And we were mods. I mean, we were very, um, uh, we were very particular about how we dressed. You know, we'd we'd have the what they call French crew cuts, which was basically short hair with like a parting cut in. It wasn't skinhead; it was a French crew cut. We'd have um, you know Levi jackets, uh, the jeans. We'd be wearing uh, Italian brogues, you know, brown brogues, Italian brogues. We were soul boy fanatics. And so we would go, uh, we, live music was our big thing. Saturday was, Friday night was football. And then after that, if we were going somewhere, we'd hitchhike through the night to get to the game. So we'd go to the pub, go to the youth club to see the bands, then hitchhike all night to get to Coventry or wherever it would be, uh, watch the game and then hitchhike back. And, you know, you'd be exhausted because you'd been up for 48 hours, you know, but this was the lifestyle. And so... Um, Rob, um, Rob and I, when New Wave hit, uh, we were both enamoured with it. I'd been messing around in in bands, and so you know, I was sort of sang in a couple of bands and played at you know folk nights and stuff like that. But when the uh, the New Wave thing hit, um, because I was in the music business, because I was around musicians, let's say, um, they knew that I could. I was an artist as well, so I got to do everybody's flyers and everybody's sleeve design and all the rest of it. And Rob um, uh, started as a promoter because um, he really wanted to be in it. And so um, he basically he. Um, I'm trying to think. Of the first thing he did there was a band called Slaughter and the Dogs, and he ran their fan club and he put some money in so they could record the first single. Then he started managing his own bands, and come '77. Yeah, 77, early 77. He was promoting a night and I was doing all the artwork for it. And so it was like Johnny Thunder and the Heartbreakers and Susie and the Banshees. And, you know, so we're right in the middle of this. We're at ground zero. And then I'd done, because Rob was the fan club manager, I designed a logo for Slaughter and the Dogs uh, that Rob had got me to do. Then I'd done a poster. Interestingly enough, I called the poster Slaughter and the Dogs Will Tell You Apart. 
Uh, and I always maintain that that's where they nick the idea for Love Will Tear Us Apart. But that's <laughs> me. Um, yeah, so, um, so then when Slaughter um, came to put out the first single, I'm the obvious guy to design it. And then I ended up doing, over that two-year period, I did something like 17, 18 singles. And so Rob is the DJ at Rafters and I'm the poster designer. And we're mates and we're drinking and we're partying and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, and, and you know, I mean, well, the rest you kind of know. That's, yeah. I mean, you know, that, that's the way it developed. It was, it was a very small scene of maybe 40 or 50 of us. Yeah. Uh, Rob was just, he was just a music fanatic and he wanted to be a part of it. And he, he couldn't sing, uh, you know, he couldn't play any instruments, uh, but he was a hard lad, you know. Because the, the other thing, about, they talk about Rob about being a football hooligan. Uh, I never actually saw him starting anybody. I've heard, I, I know that when uh, the Nosebleeds played in London, him and a guy called Vinnie Fowler went around smacking people going, <laughs> we're from Manchester, pay attention. So I know the stories about Rob, but that, that was not my experience with him from being 11, you know, up until he died. And so um, uh, Rob was very dry, very funny, very loyal, very kind. Uh, you know, if he liked you, he liked you. If he didn't like you, he would... It's basically just, you know, tease you and can I swear on this thing? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he just take the piss. <laughs> that was that was that was his mo. But he, yeah, he was great. I miss him. I, I miss Robbie. He was a, he was a good lad, and um, and we shared a lot of things. You know, he, he danced at our wedding we, when he'd come out to the states, and it, I'd go and pick him up. He'd be staying at the Sunset Marquee in um, in LA, and I'm about forty miles south of LA. And so I'd go and pick him up and he'd come to our house for like three or four days. Um, you know, we'd, my wife would cook us, you know, bangers and mash and we'd go to the pub every night and, you know, talk about um, our days. Um, yeah, it must have been an exciting, an exciting time then as well, with everything going on with the bands. And you worked with John Cooper Clark as well? Yeah, I did. The, uh, well, uh, uh, Rabid Records was the, um, uh, was the label that sprang out, they, they called it Rabid because they put the Slaughter single out and then they realised that they could do this. So I did Slaughter, uh, Ed Banger and the Nosebleeds, I did two Jilted John um, singles, did a John Cooper Clark album, uh, Where's the House of Cheese? Oué la Maison de Fromage, Where's the House of Cheese? Um, I, I did the compilation album. And then there's a number of other smaller bands um, that I did stuff for. I think I did 17 or 18 sleeves and a couple of them so I did and because I had other friends in the music business um, so like Rob before before Rabid had a group called um, The Panic so I did their sleeve uh, and then when he started managing Joy Division he got me to do uh, the first 12 inch for Joy Division right. and the, 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 the interesting thing is that I kind of um, I was more interested in magazines. You know, by the time the early eighties came, I was more. I'd played in bands. I'd, you know, there, there wasn't a lot of money to be made in sleeve design. It was very cool. I'd, when a band signed to a major label like Slaughter or Jilted John, I'd make a lot more money than I would, you know, just doing a fifty quid sleeve design. I was more interested in um, um, in the art side of things, and I got. You know, I got big very quickly with newspapers and magazines, and then suddenly, you know, I'm in syndication, and, and I haven't got time to, yeah. you, you know, I, I just couldn't be bothered to be honest with you. I mean, 
um, you know, you get to a certain point and it's, you know, how many scummy backstage, you know, <laughs> drinking warm cans of beer, do, do, do you want, you know, what, it loses its, its thrill. There's a, there's a pal of mine called Dave Rofe who manages Doves, who are uh, just back again. And we were talking about it and it, he, he had the best line ever. Um, uh, he was talking about being in bands. When you're young and you're young men in a van, you know, it's exciting and you're up and down the freeway or up and down the motorway and it's all happening, it's all new. But then 20 years later, you've got kids, you've got wives, you've got baggage. And, you, and he said, he said, and it's that moment when you sat on the tour bus and you go, oh, for fuck's sake, he's eating an apple again. And I just, <laughs> that was it. That, it, it. that was the best. If that doesn't sum up, you know, life in rock and roll, uh, I don't know what does. Yeah, very, very exciting. And, you know, and... Um, I got more interested in it again um, when my kids. Yeah, you know, yeah. They started doing music. So then a lot of the stuff that I knew and a lot of the connections I had came in handy, um, right. you know, when they were first starting out. So they supported Doves, um, you know, because I know who to go, hey, have you got a support slot sorted out? Oh, no, can the lads do it? And they go, yeah, sure. You know, so, yeah. so they do that. And, um, and they played in the city in Manchester and then. You know, and so I've had more fun with them than I ever did playing in bands myself. Did you come across Tony Wilson much in that era? Tony and I didn't get on. There's a there's a video of Rob Gretton, um, which if you look on my stuff, if you look on my Twitter or something, there's a video of me and Rob talking about Tony, and we're laughing about the fact that Tony doesn't like me. I I I, just did, I mean, yes, I knew Tony quite well, but we didn't get on. Um, uh, and I can tell you exactly why is because it started with. Um, do you remember a band called Sham 69? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So Tony and I were sort of um, pleasant acquaintances up to Sham 69. <laughs> and I did not like Sham 69. I'd been in rafters when they played, the night that they played, and uh, it kicked off big style. And, you know, there was just like swarms of National Front skinheads coming in. I didn't like it at all. And uh, Jimmy Percy decided to be a TV presenter. And he, he, I, I can't remember what the ins and outs was, but he came and presented a show for Granada. And Tony was saying how great it was. And I was, you know, I wasn't having it at all. And so we argued about Jimmy Percy. And then the argument, the argument got into Martin Hannett then. And Martin was a genius if you were in Joy Division. But if you were in a certain ratio, he was just a pain in the ass. You know, and I wasn't having it that Martin was a genius across the board. So we argued about that. And then, so, so there was that kind of antipathy, you know, we'd meet and, you know, I would just contradict him, you know, or he'd contradict me, however, you know, however you want to look at it. And then it came to a head finally with, um, I did a, an illustration for a certain ratio, and it's when Hannett was suing Factory. Um, Martin Hannett sued Factory because he said that they gypped him out of a load of money. And so they weren't paying any bills. And I'd done an illustration of a turkey to go on the inside sleeve of Ratio's record. And I did it as a favour because their drummer, Donald Johnson, is one of my closest friends. I should have, I should have mentioned Donald when I was talking about Pete Jeffries. <laughs> so Donald's my second best pal. Um, uh, yeah, so Donald asked me to do it. And I said, well, I, I won't charge you for it, but you'll have to pay for the camera prints because I'm, you know, I'm not a charity. And I think it was about eight quid. You know what I mean? It was, it was ridiculous. And so uh, they made me invoice. And then like two or three months had gone by and they hadn't paid me. And uh, so I talked to Rob's wife 
uh, Leslie. And I said, hey, where, where's that eight quid, by the way? Why am I paying for camera prints? And uh, <laughs> so they never paid me. <laughs> and then one day I was, I was rehearsing with my band. We were going to do um, a show. And we were rehearsing at TJ Davidson's, which is where the Love Will Tear Us Apart video was done. Okay, okay. And um, we were walking from there through Albert Square going to my local pub. I had a studio uh, just off Albert Square. So we were walking from TJ's to um, Albert Square. And Tony and Rob were driving past going through Albert Square. And they, like, sounded the horn. <laughs> and I'm with, like, half a dozen musicians. It's like Toby out of Primal Scream was in my band at the time and stuff like that. And so, and again, you know, you can edit this out, but basically I'm going to tell you what I said. So as they're driving through, they pit the horn, Rob's in the passenger seat, waves, Tony's driving. And I went, hey, you, Wilson, you cunt, where's my eight quid? <laughs> <laughs> he stopped the car, right, got out and wrote me a personal check for eight quid. <laughs> Didn't say anything, but you could see he was seething. You know, and all my mates are laughing, all these other musicians are laughing. And I, I took it, I mean, <laughs> took it and I cashed it. <laughs> And so that was that was the that was the final story in the Tony Wilson thing. I mean, you know, we saw each other a few times. At yeah, yeah. That, but, um, it was just one of them. You know, it was just one of them. I I didn't need anything off Tony, and I wasn't going to get anything off Tony. So there was no need for me to creep to it. Do, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And a lot of people uh, in that situation, there was a lot of sycophancy going on mm. uh, around that time. And so I don't know. You know, in a different life, we'd have probably got on, but yeah. you know, you're factoring Jimmy Percy, um, <laughs> Martin Annett, and my eight quid. <laughs> <laughs> Three strikes and you're out, kind of thing. Mm. But yeah, there's a video, you should dig it out a video of Rob laughing, talking about people that don't like me. And Tony Wilson's, Tony Wilson's number one on the list. So, on that, I'd just like to give a special thanks also to Pete Wiley of the Mighty Wah for the use of Story of the Blues in the music of the show. So you can catch up with Pete on petewiley.co.uk and you can check out the details of any upcoming gigs and new music that he's working on. And we'd also like to thank a producer, Diane Jardin, for the great work in supporting the podcast. Please check out transmissionroom.co.uk and you can book music recording and rehearsal facilities in Clydebank and I highly recommend that. So... A last shout out to our charity partner, the West Dumbartonshire Community Food Share. As I say, please follow them on Twitter, follow them on Facebook. Just keep an eye on what's going on. Uh, support them when you can. Donate if you can. You know whether that's money or time or just you know making an effort to to respond to their posts when if they need any help. Absolutely, give them all the help they can. They do absolutely brilliant work. To the listeners, thank you again for listening and you can you can follow the podcast obviously on the shootthebreezepod.co.uk website. So follow along with the podcast and you can you can give us feedback. There's a weekly newsletter. Um, Tom, isn't there? You want to give some details on that? Uh, yeah, well, the, the weekly newsletter is just um, we sort of recommend other podcasts to listen to, other football, recommend a football book each week. There's a wee bit of football nostalgia and I write a wee article about something we talked about in the podcast and a wee preview of the show. So it's just a wee fun football nostalgia newsletter. Yeah, so I, I definitely sign up to that. I've already read a few. When I've read a few of them, I've been like, oh, this is really interesting and it's for, for our stuff. So if I'm interested by it, I'm sure you will be as well. But yeah, please continue listening to the podcast. Share it with your friends. Give us some feedback if, if you want to on the on the Twitter page or on on the 
the podcast app that you you use give give us a review on the podcast as well or just listen to the show and then don't do anything that's maybe probably the best way so i'd just like to thank tom for being tom thank you andy I'd like to thank steve again for giving us the last three years of his life that he won't get back it's a pleasure, pleasure. Thank you. and until the next time let's shoot the breeze <laughs>